Chapter Twenty One, Part One of the Three Hostages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Twenty One: How I Stalked the Wilder Game Than Deer. Nine a.m. to two fifteen p.m. Obviously, I could make no plan, and I had no clear idea in my head as to what kind of settlement I wanted with Medina. I was certain that I should find him somewhere on that hill, and that, if he got a chance, he would try to kill me. The odds were, of course, against his succeeding straight off, but escape was not what I sought. I must get rid of this menace forever. I don't think that I wanted to kill him, but indeed, I never tried to analyze my feelings. I was obeying a blind instinct and letting myself drift on the tides of fate. Cory Nasside is an upper quarry separated from the Asil Valley by a curtain of rock and Sacre, which I dare say was once the moraine of a glacier and down which the alt said he tumbled in a fine chain of cascades. So steep its fall is that no fish can ascend it, so that while at the foot it is full of a sizable trout, in the quarry itself it holds nothing, as Greenslade reported, but little dark fingerlings. It was very warm as we mounted the chaos of slabs and boulders, where a very sketchy and winding track had been cut for the bringing down of the deer. Only the toughest kind of pony could make that ascent. Though the day was young, the heat was already great, and the glen behind us swam in a glassy sheen. Kennedy, as usual, mopped his brow and grunted, but the lean Angus strode ahead as if he were on the flat. At the edge of the quarry we halted for a spy. Deep hollows have a trick of drawing the wind, and such faint currents of air as I could detect seemed to be coming on our own left rear from the northeast. Angus was positive, however, that though the south had gone out of the wind, it was pretty well due east, with no north in it, and maintained that when we were farther up the quarry, we would have it fair on our left cheek. We were not long in finding beasts. There was a big drove of hinds on the right bank of the burn, and another lot, with a few small stags on the left bank, well up on the face of Bechin Falda. But there was nothing shootable there. The big stags will be on all the high tops, said Angus. We must be getting up to the burn head. It was easier said than done, for there were the hinds to be circumvented. So we had to make a long circuit far up the hill called Clonlet, which is the westernmost of the Macrae tops, south of Asil. It was rough going for we mounted about 3,000 feet level and traversed the hillside just under the upper scarp of the rock 
presently we were looking down upon the cup which was the head of the quarry and over the cool could we see the peak of stob quarry a seine and the ridge of the sob bon, both on Harapole and beyond the rescue we had another spy and made out of two small lots of stags on the other side of alt nasihid they were too far off to get a proper view of them but one or two looked good beasts and i decided to get near we had to make a cautious descent of the hillside in case of deer lying in pockets for the place was seamed with gullies before we were halfway down i got my telescope on one of the lots and picked out a big stag with a poor head which clearly wanted shooting angus agreed and we started down a sheltering ravine to get to the burn side the sight of the quarry made me forget everything else for the next hour and a half i hadn't a thought in the world except how to get within range of that beast one stalk is very much like another and i'm not going to describe this the only trouble came from a small stag in our rear which had come over clunlet and got the scent of our track on the hill face this unsettled him and he went off at a great pace towards the top of the burn i thought at first that the brute would go up to blenin falda and carry off our lot with him but he came to a halt changed his mind and made for the hair pool march in the coal after that it was plain sailing we crawled up the right of the alt na sihid which was the first class cover and then turned up a tributary gully which came down from blenin fadha indeed the whole business was too simple to be much of interest to any one except the man with the rifle when i judged i was about the latitude of my stag i crept out of the burn and reached a hillock from which i had a good view of him the head i suspected was poor only nine points though the horns were of rough thick old highland type but the body was heavy and he was clearly a back-going beast after a wait of some twenty minutes he got up and gave me the chase of about two hundred yards i dropped him dead with a shot in the neck which was the only part of him clear it was for me the first stag of the season and it is always a pleasant moment when the tension relaxes and you light your pipe and look around you as soon as the walk was over i proposed lunch and we found for the purpose a little nook by a spring we were within a few hundred yards of Harepool march which does not run along the watershed but crosses the quarry about half a mile below the coal in the old days of sheep there had been a fence the decaying post of which could be observed a little way off on the knoll between the fence and the call laid some very rough ground where the alt nasahid had its source 
ground so broken that it was impossible without going a good way up the hill to see from it the watershed ridge i finished mary's stuffing scones and ginger biscuits and had a drink of whiskey and spring water while angus and kennedy ate their lunch a few yards off in the heather i was just lighting my pipe when a sound made me pause with the match in my hand a rifle bullet sang over my head it was not very near fifty feet or so above me and a little to the left the tamed tourists i heard angus exclaim i knew it was medina as certainly as if i had seen him he was somewhere in the rough ground between the hairpool march and the call probably close to the call for the sound of the report seemed to come from a good way off he could not have been aiming at me for i was perfectly covered but he must have seen me when i stalked the stag he had decided that his chance was not yet come and the shot was camouflage to keep up the reputation of hairpool for wild shooting it would be the staggy that went over the march grunted angus the taurists to be shooting at such a wee beast i had suddenly made up my mind i would give medina the opportunity he sought i would go and look for him i got up and stretched my legs i am going to stalk on my own i told angus i'll go over to the quarry isan you had better pull this beast down to the burnside and then fetch the pony you might send huey and the other pony up to glenisau to the mad burn if i get a stag i'll grolock him and get him down somehow to the burn so tell huey to look out for my signal i'll wave a white handkerchief the wind is backing round to the north angus it should be all right for cory isan if i take it from the south that would be better for sir said angus but that's o'er far have you the cartridges sir plenty i said patting a side pocket give me that spare rope kennedy i'll want it for hauling down my stag if i get one i put my little two forty into its cover nodded to the men and turned down the gully to the main burn i wasn't going to appear on the bare hillside so long as it was possible for medina to have a shot at me but soon a ridge shut off the view from the hair pool ground and then i took a slant up the face of bahin vada mary had spent most of the morning at the big telescope in the library window she saw us reach the rim of the quarry and lost us when we moved up the side of clonlet we came into view again far up the quarry and she saw the stalk and the death of the stag then she went to luncheon but hastened back in the middle of it to see me scrambling alone among the screes of blenin fada at first she was reassured because she thought i was coming home but then she realized that i was mounting higher and making for quarry a son her heart sank 
and when I had gone out of view, she could do nothing but range miserably about the garden. 2.15 to about 5 p.m. It was very hot on Blenenfada, for I was out of the wind, but when I reached the ridge and looked down on Cori Asan, I found a fair breeze, which had certainly more north than east in it. There was not a cloud in the sky, and every top for miles round stood out clear, except the Harapool peaks, which were shut off by the highest of the ridge I stood on. Quarry Isain lay far below, not a broad cup like Quarry Nasid, but a deep gash in the hills. I inclined at such an angle that the stream in it was nothing but white water. We called it the Mad Burn, its Gaelic name, I think, was the Alt Amuhulan, and halfway up was just opposite me a tributary. The Red Burn came down from the cliffs of Surgdirg. I could see the northern peak of that mountain, a beautiful cone of rock rising like the Matterhorn from the glaciers of Sucre. I argued that Medina would have seen me going up one in Fada and would assume that I was bound for Cori Asin. He would recross the coal and make for the higher pool side of the lodge, which led from the quarry to the rescue. Now I wanted to keep the higher ground where I could follow his movements, so it was my aim to get the watershed ridge, looking down on Harapool before he did. The wind was a nuisance, for it was blowing from me, and would move any deer toward him, thereby giving him a clue to my whereabouts. So I thought if I could once locate him, I might try to get the lee side of him. In that time, I think I had a vague notion of driving him towards Macrae. I moved at my best pace along the east face of Blenenfada towards the Blee Leach, which was a deep rift in the grey rock curtain through which deer could pass. My only feeling was excitement, such I had never known before any stalk. I slipped and sprawled among the slabs, slithered over the secrees, had one or two awkward traverses round the butt-end of the cliffs, but in twenty minutes I was at the point where the massif of Blenenfada joined the watershed ridge. The easy way was now to get on the ridge, but I dared not appear on the skyline, so I made a troublesome journey along the near side of the ridge wall, sometimes out of the face of the sheer precipices, but more often involved a chaos of loose boulders which were the debris of the upper rocks. I was forced pretty far down and eventually struck the bleach patch about five hundred feet below the summit. At the crest I found I had no view of the rescue valley, only a narrow quarry blocked by the shoulder of a hill in the bald top of Stob Quarry as seen beyond. A prospect I must have, 
so I turned east along the watershed ridge in the direction of Sogdir. I was by this time very warm, for I had come at a brisk pace. I had a rifle to carry, and had Angus's rope around my shoulders like a Swiss guide. I was wearing an old gray suit, which, with bluish stockings, made me pretty well visible on that hill side. Presently I mounted the ridge, keeping the course under the skyline. I came to a place where a lift of the rocks enabled me to clear the spurs and command a mile or so of rescue. The place was on the skyline, bare and exposed. I crawled to the edge where I could get a view. Below me, after a few hundred yards of rocks and scree, I saw a long track of bracken and deep heather sweeping down to the stream. Medina, I made sure, was somewhere thereabouts, watching the ridge. I calculated that, with his recrossing of the coal at the head of the quarry Nasid and his working around the south end of the Beninfada, he could not have had time to get down to the beliche or near the bleach before me and must still be on the lower ground indeed i hoped to catch sight of him for while i was assured he was pursuing me he could not know that i was after him and might be off his guard but there was no sign of life in that sunny stretch of green and purple broken by the gray of boulders i searched it with my glass and could see no movement except pipits and a curlew by a patch of bog. Then it occurred to me to show myself. He must be made to know that I had accepted this challenge. I stood up straight on the edge of the steep and decided to remain standing till I had counted fifty. It was an insane thing to do, I dare say, but I was determined to force the pace. I had got to forty-one without anything happening. Then a sudden instinct made me crouch and step aside. That movement was my salvation. There was a sound like a twanged fiddle-string. A bullet passed over my left shoulder. I felt the wind of it on my cheek. The next second I was on my back wriggling below the skyline. Once there, I could get to my feet and run up the ridge on my left to get a view from higher ground. The shot was so far as I could judge had come from well below and a little to the east where I had been standing. I found another crunkle of rock and crept to the edge of it so that I looked from between two boulders to the glen. The place was still utterly quiet. My enemy was hidden there, probably not half a mile off, but there was nothing to reveal his presence. The light wind stirred the bog cotton. A Maryland sailed across to stop quarry a scene. A raven croaked in the crags, but these were the only sounds. There was not even a sign of deer. My glass showed that halfway down an old ewe was feeding. 
one of those melancholy beasts which stray into the forest from adjacent sheep ground and lead a precarious life among the rocks lean and matted and wild till some gilly cuts their throats they are far sharper eyed and quicker of hearing than a stag and an unmitigated curse to the stalker the brute was feeding on a patch of turf near a big stretch of bracken and suddenly i saw her raise her head and stare it was the first time i had ever felt well disposed towards a sheep she was curious about something in a shallow gully which flanked the brackens and so was i i kept my glass glued on her and saw her toss her disreputable head stamp her foot and then heard her whistle through her nose this was a snag medina could not have reckoned with he was clearly in that gully working his way upward in its cover unwitted that the ewe was giving him away i argued that he must want to reach the high ground as soon as possible he had seen me on the ridge and must naturally conclude that i had beaten a retreat my first business therefore was to reassure him i got my rifle out of its cover which i stuffed into my pocket there was a little patch of gravel just on the lip of the gully i calculated that he would emerge beside it under the shade of a layberry covered stone i guessed right i saw first an arm then a shoulder part the rushes and presently a face which peered uphill my glass showed me that the face was medina's very red and dirty from contact with the peaty soil he slowly reached for his glass and began to scan the heights i don't know what my purpose was at the time if indeed i had any purpose i didn't exactly mean to kill him i think though i felt it might come to that vaguely i wanted to put him out of action to put the fear of god in him and make him come to terms of further consequences i never thought but i had one clear intention to make him understand that i accepted his challenge i put a bullet neatly into the center of the patch of gravel then got my glass on it he knew the game all right in a second like a weasel he was back in the gully i reckoned that now i had my chance along the ridge i went mounting fast and keeping always below the skyline i wanted to get to the lee side of him and so be able to stalk him upwind and i thought that i had an opportunity now to turn the head of the rescuer by one of the sheep quarries which descend from sur dirk looking back it all seems very confused and amateurish for what could i hope to do even if i had the lee side beyond killing or wounding him but i had a chance of that as long as i had the upper ground but in the excitement of the chase the mind does not take long views and i was enthralled by the crazy sport of the thing i did not feel any fear because i was not worrying about consequences 
Soon I came to the part of the ridge, and saw frowning upon me the great rock face of Sogdir. I saw, too, a thing I had forgotten. There was no way up the mountain direct from the ridge, for the tower rose was perpendicular as a house wall. To surmount it, a man must traverse on one side or the other, on the Macray side by a secree slope, or on the Hairpool side by a deep gully, which formed the top of the quarry to which I was now looking. Across that quarry was the first of the great buttress which Shugdir sends down to rescue. It was the famous Pinnacle Ridge, as the mountaineers called it. I had climbed it three weeks before and found it pretty stiff and then I had kept the ridge all the way from the valley bottom, and I did not see any practicable road up to the quarry face of it, which was nothing but slabs and rotten rocks, while the few chimneys had ugly overhangs. I lay flat and reconnoitred. What was Medina likely to do? After my shot, he could not follow up the ridge. The cover was too poor on the upper slopes. I reasoned that he would keep on the broken ground up by the glen till he reached this quarry and try to find a road to the high ground either by the quarry itself or by one of the spurs. In that case, it was my business to wait for him. But first I thought I had better put a fresh clip in my magazine, for the shot I had fired had been the last cartridge in the old clip. It was now that I made an appalling discovery. I had felt my pockets and told Angus that I had plenty of cartridges, so I had, but they didn't fit. I remembered that two days before I had lent Archie, my 240, and he had been shooting with a manlitcher. What I had in my pocket were manlitcher clips left over from that day. I might chuck my rifle away, for it was no more use than a poker. At first I was stunned by the fatality. Here was I, engaged in a duel on a wild mountain with one of the best shots in the world, and I had lost my gun. The sensible course would have been to go home. There was plenty of time for that. And long before Medina reached the ridge, I could be in cover in the gorge of the Mad Burn. But that way out of it never occurred to me. I had chosen to set the course, and the game must be played out here and now. But I confess that I was pretty well in despair and could see no plan. I think I had a faint hope of protracting the thing till dark, and then trusting to my hill craft to get even with him, but I had an unpleasant feeling that he was not likely to oblige me with so long a delay. I forced myself to think, and decided that Medina would either come up to the quarry or take the steep spur which formed the right-hand side of it and ran down to the rescue. The second route would give him cover, but also render him liable to a surprise at close quarters if I divined his intention, 
Fry might suddenly confront him four yards at the top of one of the pitches. He would therefore prefer the quarry, which was magnificently broken up with rocks, steamed with ravines, and at the same time gave a clear view of all the high ground. With my face in a clump of loose wart, I raked the place with my glass, and to my delight saw a deer feeding about halfway down in the right-hand corner. Medina could not ascend the quarry without disturbing these deer. A batch of some thirty hinds with five small and two fairish stags among them. Therefore I was protected from that side, and had only the ridge to watch. But as I lay there, I thought of another plan. Medina, I was pretty certain, would try the quarry first, and would not see the deer till he was well inside it, for they were on that kind of platform which hid them from below. Opposite me, across the narrow quarry, rose the great black wall of the pinnacle ridge, with the wind blowing from me towards it. I remember a trick which Angus had taught me, how a soccer might have his wind carried against his face of an opposite mountain, and then, so to speak, reflected from it, and brought back to his own side, so that deer below him would get it and move away from it upward towards him. If I let my scent be carried to the pinnacle ridge and divert it back, it would move the deer on the platform up the quarry towards me. It would be a faint wind, so that they would move slowly away from it, no doubt, towards a gap under the tower of Surgdir, which led to the little quarry at the head of the Red Burn. We never stalked that quarry, because it was impossible to get a stag out of it without cutting him up, so the place was a kind of sanctuary to which disturbed deer would naturally resort. I stood on the skyline, being confident that Medina could not be yet within sight, and let the wind, which was now stronger, nearly due north, ruffle my hair. I did this for about five minutes, then lay down to watch the result. With my glass on the deer, presently I saw them become restless. First the hinds, and then the small stags lift their heads, looking towards Pinnacle Ridge. Soon a little fellow trotted a few yards uphill, and then a couple of hinds moved after him, and then by a sudden and simultaneous impulse the whole party began to drift up the quarry. It was a quiet, steady advance, and they were not scared, only a little doubtful. I saw with satisfaction that their objective seemed to be the gap which led over the red burn. Medina must see this, and would assume that wherever I was, I was not ahead of the deer. He might look for me on the other side, but more likely would follow the beast so as to get the high ground. Once there, he could see my movements, whether I was on the slopes of the pinnacle ridge or down the Macri side. He would consider, no doubt, that his markmanship was so infinitely better than mine that he had only to pick me out of the landscape to make an end of the business. What exactly I intended to do, I did not know, 
I had a fleeting notion of lying hidden and surprising him, but the chances against that were about a million to one, and even if I had got him at close quarters, he was armed and I was not. I moved a little to the right, so as to keep my wind from the deer, and waited with a chill beginning to creep over my spirit. My watch told me it was about five o'clock. Mary and Peter John would be having tea among Prince Charlie Roses, and Greenslade and Archie coming up from the river. It would be heavenly at Macray, now among greenery and the cool airs of the evening. Up here there was loveliness enough, from the stars of the butterboard, and the grass of the paranus, by the wellhead, to the solemn tops of Sogdir, the color of the stormy waves against a faint turquoise sky. But I knew now that the beauty of the earth depends on the eye of the beholder, for suddenly the clean, airy world around me had grown leaden and stifling. End of part one, chapter twenty-one.